Um, thank you for joining us for TC49, for True Crime 49. Today we're going to discuss the suspect in the Duffy Murname, or Anesha Duffy Murname uh, murder case, the alleged suspect, Kirby Calderwood. We would like to explain that uh, in this episode in particular, we will be talking about the crime, maybe a little bit more graphic than our previous episodes. Uh, we really try to be sensitive to the family. So this what episode, I would definitely um, encourage you to listen with discretion. Welcome to True Crime 49. If you may recall, in October of 2019, Anesha Duffy Murnane went missing in Homer, Alaska, and we did two episodes on that previously, missing with a silver alert. The small town looked for her, as we talked about in the previous episodes. The Kudrava dogs came out. They pronounced her um, deceased by jury in June of 2021, and it was considered a homicide. Somebody definitely had taken her. They worked very hard, even in having a special investigator, um, Matt Haney, come in. And that led us to May of 2022. Two and a half years later, the police in Ogden, Utah, arrest Kirby Calderwood at 32 years old at the time, now the suspect. He was arrested in Ogden, Utah, and his wife is the one that had called the police, said that he has the missing poster and he has her watch. When they arrest him, he has the rifle in the car. He has a bunch of strange items at his house. And, and that's where we've been sitting up until mm-hmm. now. He had a couple of firearms in the vehicle with him. And at that time, he had an order of protection from Utah. Um, but really, what we want to do now is talk about the things that we know been uncovered since Kirby was first arrested. And one of the things that's interesting, it's May, June, July, August. It's been four months and there's been nothing in the media. So what we have are initial reports and then people who have contacted us with information. That really doesn't help the police any, but it gives us an insight to who he is. Imagining the person who commits these type of crimes... They always say, you know, they don't want to get caught. They don't want to go to jail. They don't want to go to prison. And so, but it feels like, oh, when you get caught, you're going to go to prison. Well, this kind of illustrates what the reality is. That there is a segment of time it takes for you to extradite someone. That your, the story doesn't just start with the investigators. He's actually on hold in another state, filing all the correct papers just to extradite him to Alaska for the charges that come from Homer. Mm-hmm. And that's where he's at. And that's why you don't, we don't see, you haven't seen any interviews, you haven't seen any yeah. big releases of information. It's in limbo. We've had several people contact us who, like I said before, that really doesn't help the police with the investigation, but kind of gives us an insight to Kirby and some of the people he was associated with. Or several associates of Kirby's through the military contact us. And mixed reviews, you know, some of them were very positive and some of them were not so positive. One thing we got cleared up, and thank you for sharing this with us, 
that Kirby Calderwood was actually a tanker, um, not just in, in supply. And he was, his deployment in Iraq was while he was a tanker. And of course, they also said that we kind of alluded to that maybe that whatever tying the guy up might have been some sort of camaraderie thing, morale thing, or, or it wasn't malicious. It was truly kind of a bonding thing. At the time, we just kind of said that it was an interesting picture to show as his Facebook, which has since been deleted as his photo cover. But that actual photo is of the group of men who crewed up together and were, you know, in Iraq together. The, 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 the guy who, was, who knew him, they were in the crew together. He says that Kirby was into violent sexual porn. And sometimes he told them about tying up girls. He had never really gave any more solid details. He said he says he, they were always vague. A story of he did this thing, but he never really gave any much details. And what the the comment that this person makes is it took them by surprise that that's the person who committed these offenses. But also that they always assumed that when he told these stories, he would tell these stories about tying these girls up and, and doing things to them. He, they always assumed that it was consensual, that this was a girl, you know, Craigslist, you know, at that time, however they would hook up, that they assumed, oh, that's what he's into, and he finds girls who are into that as well. Yeah. After this, they, they didn't... It was hard for them to believe it was the right person, the same person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, um, actually, I wanted to talk more about um, some of the people who served with him, but this is actually a really good transition point. We also were contacted by various people who knew partners of Kirby's present and past ones, and they kind of alluded to the same thing, that, you know, without being too personal <laughs> and without, you know, making accusations when we don't know it's all hearsay from somebody else. But the thing is, is that it, it lines up the multiple people when they when multiple people come to you with the same story and they have no idea. They've never met each other. They live in separate cities and they know them from different avenues, you know, in a personal way, in a professional way. And they all use the same wording you know, uh, you're not going to bet your life savings on it, um, but it starts to form loosely a picture. You know, some of those things tie into what you were saying. And that you said maybe on Craigslist and that the girls did like getting tied up, maybe. And they were dating that way. From some of the things that we got, information we had from people contacting us, they alluded to the same thing that various partners of his were, um, the word that came up a lot was disturbed. He, they were just as disturbed as he was. It kind of lines up with a couple of partners were reported to have disturbing behavior, not just one it, over the course of, well, 20, you know, at least for the last three years or so. And, and if you look at what um, one of his friends said, he was in the army when he was tying girls up, maybe consensually. And that was, you know, but even longer than that, 12 years ago. I think that's, I think that's an interesting 
a point that ties well with when he tells the new beginnings. He's speaking of being the young man going to the military. Well, I guess to to start it off correctly, he's going. To, he's in front of these people. He's giving a presentation. In his social life, he gave a a presentation. It's like they, you know, allow people to come up and talk about the things that they, you know, something important to them or something happened to them. There's a theme. And this one, it was new beginnings. Mm-hmm. Almost like stand-up. In his, the, the words that he chose, everything that he chose to go up there and say to these people, one of them is, it's the new beginnings, the story of him getting on the bus and then going to the basic training. He specifically arranges it so that all of the people in the room are listening to him tell a story. This person that we know now likes violent sexual porn and shares it with people in the, you know, the barracks, in the crew. The person that apparently, well, by it's very, very, uh, it looks to be that he is the absolute suspect. It, it looks like he did it. This is the type of person when they go into this meeting, the things that are on their mind, they have immediately places them in the drill they're being, uh, they're being, you know, you know, broken down. They're being, you know, repressed. They're being, it's scary. Mm-hmm. And then he goes into the shower scene where they had to run in the shower. And they only had, and so by the time that he puts the shampoo, and he, you know, he even goes so far as to say, and you know, look at me, look at my arm. I'm a very hairy person. He and he's got you imagining him running down the hallway, slipping in front of everybody, including the drill sergeants. And going spread eagle, and he gives motions of like spinning around naked on the ground. I believe, and he even like describes it, their butt sliding against the tile in front of everyone. And then quickly like uses it to tie in real quick that it was, it was about new beginnings. Yeah, I'm all of a sudden I'm that guy. And in hindsight, you're looking at this is the person that possibly did these things. Mm-hmm. The person that they echo, he likes a violent sexual porn. Mm-hmm. This is the person when he goes up there, that's the first thing that he wants to do. He's t- wanting, and he has you visioning him, hairy, legs spread, sliding across the tile. That was one of the, one of the things in that that he said. At one of the bars, I believe it's the alibi, they do a storytelling night. And you said it was almost like stand-up, but I'm not sure all of them are supposed to be stand-up. I think they're supposed to be like cathartic beginnings. And that's when I came to Alaska, or that's when I met my husband, or that's when I had my child. And that's when I became that guy. Is what he said. Mm-hmm. One thing, too, when you look at the girlfriend that turned him in, mm-hmm. one of the things that she had said was she used the word he after he had killed her that he had also disfigured her was the term that was that was used and there were implements that they had found and it was showing signs of torture which he which they suspected signs of torture so if you have someone who's a sadist and they enjoy watching you be overcome by what he's doing Mm -hmm. even if it's right in front of everybody in all the little ways, too. So when you have this person that you know is a sadist, and they're going up there when there's apparently the, 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 the regular show, then you got the after-hour show for the more adult, which he says, oh, I'll save that other stuff for the next show. This is the opener, and he's 
this is the guy who's saying these things. But he, he also did say, he talks about buying this fancy car, hot rod car. In the New Beginning story session, once he gets to the end of this, of this, the, the opener of him in, at, the, at the boot camp at the, with him sliding down the hallway, mm-hmm. then he goes in to say, describe that when you're alone and there's a bunch of high-charged guys and they're all out there for, for you know weeks at a time that he immediately goes into that he didn't talk about we oh you fought you form these you know you know brotherly bonds and you you become you know comrades he went right into you sit around and you watch a lot of porn he starts going right into the porn right off the bat and specifically he says that you're watching every type that everybody else likes. Everyone's bringing stuff to the table and everyone's watching each other's stuff. He does then just begin to describe a scene where there's two men. The two men are contractors and then he says, oh, they're not working. What are they doing? Is what he alludes to. And basically the one, the, the one that he chooses to use is with two grown men. And he even frames it so that it appears that this is what one of that really traumatized him. It traumatized him going from being a good Mormon kid to having to having to watch and talk about and you know over and over again porn pornography among the guys in the crew. Right after that, he goes into the, he gets well now he's there, been there a while. He starts to go go start doing well. He never really talk. He never talks about combat or being in combat. His his crew members says of course they were tankers and they were they were deployed at you know in combat he talks about buying this car and with this girl and they get and they have two kids they have twins and that the hot rod was a big thing for him he says made him feel good and he loved to drive around town and when he talks about the twins they were brought up as I mentioned it and he so what did he have to do he had to sell his car and it, it's really kind of a, a kind of a punch in the gut. You're like, you can't believe this guy. Mm. He's talking about this hot rod car that he likes and how it likes to make him feel. And he get and him and the girl and they get pregnant <clears throat> and they have twins. And guess what? I had to sell my car. And right at the punchline, it said, and we ended up getting divorced. But I guess it's all for the best. And it just really pings is really shallow. Getting part of his. Him telling his story about coming to boot camp and being naked and watching all the porn. He's really kind of charismatic. While he lived in Homer, he worked with the history of arts or he did fundraising there and he was in several plays. I think he said he was quoted to saying, I like pretending. So he was kind of this theater person, very dramatic. And, um, you know, what did he say? He cultured his identity. But when he tells the beginning of that story, he is, people are laughing, you know, they are, it's really engaging. Um, but when he gets to the end, he's getting out and he buys himself the car for having to deal with all the porn and then gets rid of it and gets divorced and stuff. Da, 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 da. You know what I mean? Like you said, not only does it come off very shallow, his ability to captivate or his ability to um, convey his emotion is totally gone in that second half of that story. The point of that whole speech was really 
all of the sexual deviant stuff in the beginning. That's what he was excited to share. And like you said, it wasn't being deployed or the places he went. It was the sexual deviant stuff. And then when he kind of like came back and had to return to regular life, it's very, you know, quick, quick, quick. Really enjoying and feeling free to talk about his sexuality and share that. But his personal life and responsibilities is a drag. And it's so evident in that small snippet. But again, hindsight, you wouldn't have ever, you know, oh, he's really good at the beginning. And it was like, an, and then I woke up. No. You know, to go and, and, and visit the link and go there and listen to this thing for yourself. Number one, it's, it's very rare that you get to listen to recorded the recorded voice of the number one suspect, what looks like the guy, it looks like red-handed kind of a guy. And you get to listen to things that he said candidly about himself and about things that were important to him, the things that were important to him at the time. You get to listen to all this, and it is from the end of the spectrum of time from when she went missing and then he was arrested. It's in, it's in while he was in Homer. And one of the things that you that you notice that you can notice in it is that he apparently he felt comfortable enough with his he knows how he is with people he felt comfortable enough with his meter of charisma that he thought I'm going to go up there and he's going to do this thing he does not come in here as if someone who says you know shaking like a leaf I can't believe you guys made me do this yeah he looks very vigorous he looks like very he it's he is being a kind of ambitious. But he does, you can hear him setting it up, doing the punchline, and kind of waiting for it. He's expecting to lap up some milk. And, you know, in, in you know, comedians, a lot of times you watch them, they usually play their cards very cool when it comes to, I'm going to make you laugh, and I'm not going to look around the room. And, and, and he kind of is waiting for that validation. So it to, to me, what it tells me is that he is... Feel, he does feel comfortable with his charisma. He does feel like, oh, I got something mm -hmm. offered. Get me there and I'll deliver. Mm -hmm. But you can still hear him setting it up, playing the little decks of cards and waiting for you to fall the next one. A person who doesn't have any empathy, they can mimic your behaviors. actions. Your behaviors, thank you. They can mimic you. But they've not gonna, they're not going to be identifying with you on the inner warm apple pie, warm heart feelings inside because they don't have that connection to yeah. you, which is why they can commit these type of crimes and it means nothing to them. Or it means the world to them. Mm -hmm. But he... Yeah, um, I think there's something to... He had a lot of action from women. It wasn't as if he was in the desert with, when it came to women. One of the things when you start to, like, let's say, if you, before you hear his voice, before you see him in action, you see the photos of him, when you start to say they come from, uh, they come from a family where the dad and the brother were small-town heroes when it came to football, he, this guy we're talking about, the other son, he went to the Army, and he, knowing now that he did do combat time inside of a tank, Right? Come to find out this is the person who is accused of doing all of these horrible things. You can start to get a picture in your mind of this, maybe what you think this guy would be like. But he comes off so disarming. He comes off very feminine, which is nothing wrong with. He comes off not in a very masculine way. He comes across in a very almost supportive. considerate, yeah. supportive. 
all of the defenses being washed by waves of him being very you know meek, supportive, helpful, attentive, mm-hmm. soft, very soft voiced, very maternal voice. Mm-hmm. So much that if you listen to it, it would be unwise to answer the phone with using pronouns when you hear his voice in the olden days even. So but as far as him being around all of these women, it one thing that comes to mind is how disarming his whole the whole structure of how he presented himself was always it seemed like at every angle it was mm-hmm. meant to disarm and to not have you feel threatened or alienated. And that's um, a really good place to talk about how he used that with Anesha or how her family likes to call her Duffy Renee that he worked at the within the um, umbrella company uh, that she was also at. I think at some point he used their same services for health care, you know, mental health care. For the behavioral health system. Mm-hmm. So not only was he employed there, but at some point he also used their resources. And that he had met Duffy there, you know, that um, they even ate together at time. Um, we had We had suspected, and her father had also said... There was no play, no way that it was a stranger, that it was somebody that she would know and somebody that they would like convince her or talk to her about like giving her a ride. She willingly got into Kirby's vehicle using, like what you said, um, his demeanor, his voice, mimicking some sort of empathy, you know, very disarming. And so he convinced her to get into his vehicle. We know now that the home that he was, that Duffy was in, was unoccupied during that time, and that um, he had set it up. He took the day off of work and drove around town and stumbled upon her. He had planned on doing something, but also didn't plan on doing something. He had built the torture little shack while he knew that the the in-laws, they were his girl, only they weren't married at the time. Yeah. But the in-laws' house, he had, while they were gone for a few months, he had the torture shack, he built it, prepared it, and prepared it in a way that it could be disassembled. While he's out there driving around, and you're in Alaska, you're in the, as we said, like, brochure quality of fisherman town. Mm-hmm. A quaint little drinking town with a fishing problem, mm-hmm. about all the bumper stickers say. And what does this guy roll up in? This tanker guy from his dad who was the football in a Subaru Forester. Very responsible and conservative. They takes her to the house with the ruse of, I need to get my phone charger. Right off the bat, when they, they've always cataloged, is it disorganized or organized? In this case, he's, of course, organized because he's put all of these things in place to gain proximity, intimate proximity to where he's not some scary guy coming running out of the woods and she was running away. He has gained proximity to her and once she was over that crawl space door is when he attacked. In the report it says that he threw her down into the crawl space hole that it did quite a bit of damage to her when she fell down in there. Mm-hmm. And then he went down there and, and it continued to attack her and then took, that's when he got her phone. And that's when he disabled the phone. 
in the affidavit, it says that after he disposed of the phone, he came back and after she was restrained and he had already abused her, um, he he disposed of her phone in Beluga Lake, which without getting too specific, it's a stone's throw away if from a, a very uh, a, a front window that he sits in often at the time. So he disposed of it in Beluga Lake where he could totally see it frequently. And then we went back to the home that he had, or to the crawl space and tortured Duffy and murdered her uh, and then disposed of her. And that the likelihood of her body ever being recovered is, is slim to none. At the lady that he was working for at the time, he was a caretaker too, that he um, was able to watch the dumpster until it was able to be picked up and taken away. And then he it also it is interesting that you said he's also throwing the phone into a lake that he can watch over and preside over at leisure through the window. Mm-hmm. Trophies are almost placing them around him. Hopefully that everyone will work together, but uh, it could be complicated more that there's evidence that while he was arrested at the house, there were the machetes and the knives that had dried blood on them. Mm-hmm. Once that evidence comes back, is it human? And if, if it is human, who is it? That would be a case in Utah, starting. So at this point, that that would be a good reason why it would take four months for them to be where we are today. This episode was recorded before August 17th. And on August 17th, there is a virtual review of extradition that is happening. And but in the meantime, he is in Ogden on a $1 million bail. When it's all over, he's not the type of person that is which has happened before guys crying and they're they're completely drunk and they turn themselves in i, I can't i just can't live with myself i, I yeah. did something last night i never would have thought i did he's got tampering with the evidence mm-hmm. he's out there doing stuff keeping it close yeah and that's what that's what to me that's what if when you know thinking about how disarming he is and to think this all of the steps that he went through and when it's all over Instead of him breaking down and realizing what he did, he's still, he's tampering with the evidence. When he was arrested, he was driving a a van he recently purchased, and it hadn't been registered yet. Even with that, he's using that as an evasive tactic, but he never gets rid of the picture or the watch. The chain of events that that would be coming up would be, when they say virtual review, I'm assuming it's like a Zoom call. At this point, they'll find out if he's going to get transferred. Usually, when that information, when the extradition happens, you usually have to justify, and it becomes public record, why you're, why you're extraditing this person from another state. Mm-hmm. At that point, there usually is some very broad descriptions that might have come out during the any type of interrogations or the, the, the accusations. Yeah, or even corrections to maybe something we know that actually gives us more detail. Yes. And so hopefully there will be a couple of blips of light on the horizon of information that comes out when after the, when they 
when they take care of this extradition process. Mm. You get something then to see any updates or any you know modifications to what we know already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's definitely something to look forward to. Is you know what the actual the, the court proceedings after this will be, and he, Kirby Collarwood does have a public defender. Anyways, thank you for listening to True Crime Forty Nine. We'll keep you posted. Also, please look up Miles Williams on Facebook and donate to Alaska Search Dive Rescue and Recovery. Also check out our book, Joe Millionaire, on Amazon.